From the creators of Travel and Report blog, Podróżnicy, this is Spotlight. Hello, I'm Jakub Gornicki and welcome to Spotlight Podcast, when we discuss things connected to technology and society. Today I am with Shandor Lederer. Oh, no, wait. First of all, I wanted to thank you very much for the initial reactions, your comments, your feedback uh, after the first episode. It is more than appreciated because I am improving as we go. I already uh, bought a new equipment, new microphones. I found my uh, old mixer, which I used for a project which I did a long time ago. I actually forgot that I have it, but and I, w- w- and I was like, I have to buy microphones better, but where are I going to connect them? And then suddenly I reminded myself that it's lying just, you know, on the bottom of the wardrobe. And yes, there it was. I bought the mics, I connected them, and well, now you can listen to it even better than you could before. So now, uh, once again, I am with Shandor Lederer, from K-Monitor organization in Budapest, Hungary, which fights corruption there. My initial idea for this podcast is, was that I wanted to give you an idea of what the current Prime Minister of Hungary, Viktor Orban, has done to civic society. What kind of tools, what kind of limits he put on the citizens in order to you know, enforce normal democratical debate, critics, you know, public uh, public discussions, and so on and so on. Because you probably hear about Mr. Orban's doings on media, and they are probably not in put in a very good light. But this is not everything. If we dig deeper, there is more, because he is actually trying to do more. He is limiting access of NGOs to, to media. He is limiting media itself, and he putting kinda on his leash. And there is more and more. But... As we started to talk to Shandor, he just mentioned that there is very interesting development ongoing and that which might, well, we can only theorize right now, but let's say that it might endanger or definitely is not making Orban happy right now because there is a rival showing up on the scene. For more, let's listen and talk to Shandor. Thank you, Jakub, for having me. I'm fine. It was, you know, in English, you're not used to answer this <laughs> question, but I will. So we have, again, quite interesting days now because um, there's a lot going on in politics and hopefully we'll talk about this later. So I'm, I'm quite interested in, in how things will develop in the next days because it's, it's a nice time or at least an interest or interesting What's happening? Time. What's happening? Tell us. Um, you know, there is our prime minister, Mr. Orban, mm-hmm. and he has a very old soulmate and roommate and also compliance in Hungarian politics and especially business. His, name is, his, his name is Lajo Simicka. He's one of the well mightiest or most famous oligarchs of the country now. And he he was a very close friend and ally of Orban. Actually, I would say he was the one who gave some kind of political orientation to Orban in the 80s because Orban was a guy who was very active in his community. He used to be for a short time in the communist youth even because for him at that time it was not about politics but community. 
And when he became more and more active in his community, there was this other guy, Lajos, who was very anti-communist. And I think he shaped very much the thinking of Orban. And they were doing lots of things together. They were also building up Fidesz, the government party, or at that time an opposition movement together. And this guy became the both, I would say, political mastermind in, in, in some sense, but even more the economical mastermind of, of Fidesz. So he was responsible for party finance and party managing. The oligarch, where did he get the money from? I mean, what industry? There are several phases. So, so um, I think let's not go back to the very beginnings, mm-hmm. but it was typical stories of party finance, um, okay. what they managed at, in the, at the beginning of 90s. There were some shady businesses. These are always coming back if you talk about Fidesz or even the young Fidesz. So when they, when they first did things that were, let's say, not really morally acceptable, but they were much smaller scale things than things happening today. He made his really big money I would say after uh, the change of the government in 2010. So this that's is when the Orban uh, came the, to power. Yes, the, the Orban. It's it's uh, the second term of Orban. There was a break between. So Orban was in power between 98 and 2002 for four years. Then he lost power for eight years. The socialists came back, and then he won in 2010 again. And he's since then he's in power. And this is the time when they got the two-third majority, so full control over Hungarian politics. And this is also the time when when his economical uh, background and these oligarchs became really strong. There were some attempts in the previous or the first Orban government as well, but they did not manage to to build up such a strong economical background. So, so, so this guy became really rich and powerful after government, uh, Orban's uh, second government term. He is very influential and, and he has lots of power in media and communication and business. W- what does he do now? Um, he still owns this, but um, they got into, into um, quite struggle with Orban. The reason is that, that Shimichka became too powerful and too strong. And I would say there are two positions in this struggle. So in, in, a, in a point of view of, of Shimichka, it's about that he, he felt that he's, he's having less and less influence on Orban's politics. And that was disturbing him. And from, this, from the position of Orban, he felt that Shimichka has too much power and actually political legitimization is on the side of Orban. So he doesn't want to agree on all the things with Shimichka, the oligarch. It, it, he has his own political power and he started to, to, to have more and more people and... Um, let's say, consultants and, and uh, spin doctors around him who, who were quite far away from, from Shimichka. And we could already some years ago see that there is some, some distance between these people and also they're not agreeing on, on all uh, things. But it was not an open conflict. You mean it Shimichka was- and Orban? Shimichka and Orban and new people around Orban, much more technocratic people and people who were not uh, in Fidesz for all those long years, who were, let's say, more newcomers around Fidesz. So Orban started to take away power and businesses 
from Shimichka. Yes, and this was disturbing Shimichka quite a lot. And it said that when did, that, it, when did it start? I mean, taking uh, power. I would say um, last year. So after Orban won the elections again last year, spring last year, he started more and more to push back. The two fields where it was very obvious is public procurement, especially in the construction industry, because there is one company belonging to Shimichka that won uh, really lots of lots of tenders and was maybe not number one, but maybe number two in construction industries. But you couldn't really win without agreeing uh, with Shimichka or his clientele. And the other one is, is media and uh, PR business, communication business around the government and also media like press, broadcast, print and so on. So these were the two main fields where Shimichka was very active. He has also in, uh, lots of interest in agriculture, but this is maybe less important. Um, but this could be named as the third um, thing where, where, where uh, he, he, he began to lost um, so to lose what power. is going on right now? Because you opened at this very interesting time right now. In yeah, Hungary, the, so. the, the first thing was that we already could hear in, in, in Hungarian news that, um, that there is this conflict and Orban wants to build up a much stronger state-owned and state-controlled media, public media, and he doesn't need Shimichka's media anymore. That, that would mean that they won't get that much state advertisement, that they we lose lots of contracts uh, with government bodies, but also it's about a media or an advertisement tax that would hit his companies quite strongly. And uh, Shimichka was very mad about that. And, um, and, and the spark was, or, or, or the, the very special happening, which was, I think, two or three weeks ago, is that almost all editor-in-chiefs of, of media belonging to Shimichka stood up and, and said that we're leaving um, these companies because Shimichka, we, we don't want to betray Orban um, and the classical right-wing movement in Hungary because Shimichka wanted us to, to go against Orban. Um, so from one day to the other, he lost, let's say, the leadership of his media. And Shimichka became, he never, you, you couldn't see him in the press. So he was very, always silent. He was not, not a public person. But after, out of nothing, he started to, to go give, give interviews and statements saying that Orban is let's son of a bitch. And, but it, really using words like this, and this is a putsch, and, and, and uh, Orban is a fucker. Um, it was, it was, nobody had seen such things before. So it was obvious that a, a struggle is going on. And this continued yesterday evening that Shimichka gave an interview to a moderate right-wing portal saying um, that Orban reported to the Communist Secret Service you mean in, um, and, under, uh, and yeah, in the 80s when the they 80s. were both soldiers and, and even afterwards. And although Orban said to Shimichka that they want me to, to report on you, but we will somehow figure this out. Shimichka thought that this never happened, so which means Orban finally did not report. But now, and this is what Shimichka told, he has doubts because the only reason he sees why Orban is going very much towards Putin and Russia is that Russia might uh, blackmail Orban that if he isn't not cooperating, they will uncover his, his past 
as as a well a spy or somebody who was uh, strongly cooperating with the communist secret service so this is what what Shimichka told the press last night or of course the government I understand Orban, that this created a lot of mess in media especially probably social media yeah of course it it was a very special special occasion and of course uh, Orban special and the government occasion. denied it so that this that, that there was an attempt to make him uh, as an informant but he he rejected so he 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 was not reporting to the secret police so this what, is what this is your is what, take on it i mean this is a very interesting situation because i hope um my idea for this podcast was totally different in 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 the beginning because i wanted to paint the current situation of hunger as we know it but for example in terms of, I mean, speaking mostly about Poland, but since we are uh, also recording this in English, uh, meaning everybody who, who listens to us, but how do you feel it will change the political scene in Hungary, which from my perspective was very, you know, one-man show so far, without any hopes of either, and of any opposition to rising to a level which might be considered serious? Yes, this is really interesting because I th- I think that this can be the beginning or some kind of source for for having a right wing opposition within Fidesz or around Fidesz, because it it it's more and more, I would say there are signs that there is a split, not a very strong or for the out outside not a very strong split between between yeah, or within Fidesz but but you can see that there are let's say more moderate and classical um, right-wing conservative people and also some kind of more technocrat more power oriented people who don't have let's say a strong ideological background or are not for whom their ruling is not about um, making Hungary a conservative state but rather about maintaining power and ruling and it now seems that th- these guys are closer and closer to Orban, and Orban himself ha- has a very pragmatic politics now. This is also why, or the reason um, he is more and more cooperating with Russia, China, and so on. And there are some right-wing people around who don't really like this, and who would rather keep Fidesz on a right-wing track, a Western track against Russia, and more classical right-wing or conservative values. And so, and and sh- and, and this um, battle. So this would be the border, you know, in in Fidesz for the split. Th- you would say this could be. I wouldn't say that they will split, or I I have no idea what will happen. But this is an option now that this could happen. That there will be this this border. Uh, between these two um, clubs within or or yeah two two kind of movements within Fidesz and but the problem with it, this is that um, Shimichka I can't believe or I, I'm, I can't expect that he will be in any case a leader of of one club because his name is so much connected to corruption and oligarchy in Hungary. Shimichka, okay. Yeah, Shimichka. So I, I, I could barely believe that uh, moderate conservatives would expect him uh, officially or visibly to be the, he, their uh, background power. But so do you this think is, he might be like a catalyst for some bigger change? This could be, yes. And this is not, he's not only the only sign that this, something like this could happen. What are the but, other signs? 
Even before he started to be um, active or loud uh, against Orban, there were some politicians who were criticizing within Fidesz um, some some steps of the government, some politicians who were having a bit luxury lifestyle. But will the change come from, let's say, the politics side or rather from the uh, civic side, you know, from the citizens? This is the other option. So one, if if we, if, if we think about how could um, Hungarian politics change in the next, I don't know, three, four, five years, one option is that it, the change would come from Fidesz. The other is that it will come either from from the left liberal side, which doesn't seem really possible now, but maybe yes, you, you could never know. And also there is a quite strong civic movement that took over a lot of opposition tasks. Not political tasks, but, you know, control tasks to control the government. Watchdog. Yeah, watchdog, but also on lots of human rights issues and constitutional issues. And uh, and even policy issues in, in, um, you know, labor issues, um, social issues, so lots of spheres where the where the political opposition was, let's say, completely impotent. So there is some kind of of um, policy power, not politics, but policy power on the on the on the civil side as well, which could also be some kind of ground for an opposition movement or or for a ground for some kind of change. Great. Before we go further, I would like to go back because uh, you are taking us deep into Hungarian politics and the news about the current events are actually really amazing to hear because it makes me very curious to see what's going to happen. But I would like to go back to, let's say, year 2010 when Orban came for the second time to power. Uh, right now, he recently began his third term. And I would like I would like to ask you to give us a short overview what did Orban do in three aspects? One is gaining more authoritarian power. The second one is, let's say, media control. And the third one is civic society and civic society organizations. And you can choose from which one do you want to begin. I want to begin from even going one step back, but telling just very briefly. So what Orban saw after his first government term when he lost uh, power and also after the first democratic government term in 1990 is that it's really really easy to lose power and that it's you have to have a very strong economic and media background to be able to remain in power or go back to power or get back to power so he learned that it, it politics is not after only he about failed in 2002 Yes, and also after seeing uh, conservatives failing after 1994, when the socialists come immediately back after communists lose, you know, power in 98. Socially, after four years, socialists came back because people were really unsatisfied and and fed up with the deficiencies and the problems that democracy and 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 not democracy, but let's say market economy brought to the country. And and socialists come came back with a two third majority at that time. So Orban saw that he has to build up something to be able to to maintain power for a long time and completely reshape the country because 
he has a he had a very clear vision i would say he he just he did not just want to to you know being being on government and change a bit in education a bit in social fear but he really wanted to reshape this country completely was he so public you, about his um future plans when um, running in 2010 i was i would say not with all of the things that he he did but he said that a new transition is due so he said that the transition in 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 1989 was not a real transition actually lots of uh, people in power before remained in power and structures and and ideologies and and things how the country works remained as it was before and the real transition has still to be done and this is what he wanted to achieve or this was his political goal a, a conservative transition bringing hungary actually he what he his ideology was that that hungary's um independence and sovereignty was disturbed in 1944 so imagine in in in, in wow. during the second world war i would say at already fascist times but it was not the German it was the the pre-German occupation period where you already had the Jews or parts of the Jews uh, deported and Hungary was participating on the side of Germany in the war so this was this is a problematic thing but still when we, so so for him Hungary lost its sovereignty when the Germans occupied officially the country mm-hmm. and 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 from then on it never really got back its independence and and even after the transition it was a, a half solution because this the the constitution from the from the end of the 40s was still in power actually not one single line was the same as in the in 40s but in 2010 yes the main but, document i mean i understand that it was updated over time it was completely updated but it has a symbolic problem for him that the, that the number or or the date was 1989 on the document mm-hmm. the hardest communist years but if you look at the constitution itself there was not a single maybe the only line that remained was that hungary's capital is budapest but nothing else remains so it it was for him more a symbolic act so he really wanted to reshape everything so for keeping this going and for for making it long lasting he had to change power and 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 uh, the system of checks and balances constitution and so on okay, and now so i so, so now coming yeah and now now it's 2010 and now i will answer your questions so so the first thing was about yes how to how to make his power efficient and, and long lasting ruling and long lasting was changing constitutions changing he or he removed almost every uh, leader of independent institution and and put there people who were close to to fidesz or reliable people you can take all um, the judiciary the prosecution even he, the the ombudsman um system um he had the two third majority in the parliament he really they they threw out people from all ministries even on expert levels so not only you know political leaders and ministers and and secretaries of state so but they even basically cleaned it yeah um almost all spheres yes also in education uh, they centralized a lot so it was about having total control um this is the, uh, later on you know they also changed the election system that in they what res- way? in the way that it was partly about uh, gerrymandering that that uh, the constituencies were reshaped 
they in most for, probably they favored Fidesz. Yeah, exactly. So even if, if in the previous elections when the socialists won, they would have lost with the current election system. So they they they, they change it in the favor of Fidesz. They they managed to bring to strengthen um, lots of companies who we expect that they or we think that they assume that they uh, quite actively participated in financing Fidesz in the election campaign. Uh, so so it ever, they they started to really build up their power. Also through public procurement, EU funds. It's obvious that more and more money went to to Fidesz close companies, and one of, of them was the company of Shimichka. So the guy who we talked about at the beginning. He was a main, a main pillar of building up Fidesz economic power and an alternative circle of oligarchs who, who could support Fidesz. So this is about power. What In about me media? Uh, the media very similarly. They already started to build out uh, a right-wing media in 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 the, his previous government terms and so the end of the 90s. Uh, for for a lot of uh, conservative people, it was always a big issue to to change media because Hungarian media, I would say, uh, was more liberal or left liberal, or at least people were uh, or, or these. These journalists, these these uh, stations were more were more popular among people. So even if they set up some smaller conservative or right wing radio stations, newspaper, they were not really popular, and they did not have that big audience. So they they actively started to build up right wing media in uh, the print press, broadcast. From scratch. Either from scratch or through buying already existing media outlets and changing it completely. Um, and this was partly supported by lots of state advertisement for these new companies or, or, or companies getting influence. And partly through, through oligarchs who invested um, money <laughs> coming already from the state through public procurements and, and so on. So getting more and more influence in private media. And of course, they completely occupied public media, which means that... Um, you you have in Hungary public media is like I would say maybe worse than in the in the eighties. So it, there's a complete censorship, and and um, you would really laugh if would if you would la listen or or or, or um, watch news in Hungary. It is it is uh, a joke. Yeah, it's 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 they they don't report on anything that is against the government. They um, have how, nice. Do you know? Is it still like the public TV in Poland is still? I mean, it's not censored, but it's also the most popular uh, TV channel. Is it? Uh, how many people does watch the public TV in Hungary? It it has not as, that big share. I would say commercial TV is a much bigger share. I, w I I don't want to 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 okay. say, but bad. it's not. It's, but it's not channel. the. Yeah, no, it's that. It's not the main source. I would say. Okay. But the main. Uh, but another important source, and this would be the last thing I would mention regarding media, is that. Um, they had a very um, clever move. They um, they made news from the state news agency free, which would mean that um, news produced actually by the government or a government closed institution 
could be taken over freely by any other uh, media. Yes, because that's free content for you. That's free content. So, so other independent news agencies in Hungary, they had to, sh- to, to shut down or they went bankrupt because nobody wanted to pay money for Hungarian news if they could get it for free. So imagine that in all news agency or, or, or uh, news desk, the news that That's was coming Hungarian clever. news that came from that was coming from Orban's people yeah and of course they then uh, rewrote some parts or or or, of course. or edited it but still it was coming from the government and this was a, a yeah quite, it free, quite smart but it's, step it suits uh, our agenda yeah what about advertisement did they do anything there regarding the market or you know Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, a really nice um, study was published some weeks ago, which which makes this thing what we already um, saw in 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 its parts uh, visible, and it compared how um, state advertisement is spent between right wing and left wing, or right wing and left liberal uh, media. And you could see that in the socialist government, it was a bit in favor of right or, or left liberal media, um, but still um, right-wing media got quite a lot of, of state uh, advertisement. After uh, Fidesz, left liberal media almost got nothing, and, and right-wing media uh, received almost, I would say, two-thirds or even a bigger market share of uh, state advertisement, which is both from ministries, state-owned companies, agencies, state agencies, and a lot, and a big source for this were uh, often EU funds or EU uh, projects that had a huge communication budgets. I see. So on one hand it's free content, on the other hand it's... Uh, strong state money, yeah. Strong support. state money. Very interesting. And... Uh, Of course, uh, in a bad way. And the last thing, because which is very interesting to me, because you also run an, an NGO, a civic society organization, uh, K Monitor, is uh, what happened to, to 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 your community, to other organizations, to your organization, after Orbel came to power. Yes. So um, I think. When Orban started to, to do his changes around the constitution and the checks and balances, civil society became very active and very loud and turned to the EU, turned to Western institutions to, to help to stop Orban's dealings. So he immediately looked upon uh, civil society as an enemy. And from, I the, think from he, the beginning, from 2010. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because immediately he started to completely take over control and, you know... He really um, did his research. Well. Capture the state. Sorry? I mean, he, he came well prepared. Yes, to... but... But, but you know, you have to see what I mentioned, that there were, at that time, uh, political opposition was completely falling apart. So, so the, the, the real, uh, I would say, the loudest force uh, criticizing Orban and his government came from civil society. And, and so, so he felt, I would say, that it is partly not a, a really big threat, but in some way a power that is the disturbing his ruling in a way. So he started to step up or being also critical towards civil society. The, third, the first thing that you, could, uh, you, you would see is that they started to seize supporting financially organizations that are critical 
or or in a, in, in in any ways going against the government. Um, they also started to leave these organizations out of the media. So I would say we've never been invited to to public media after um, Orban came to government. Um, they also skip reporting about things we do, things we say. They try to minimize uh, minimalize cooperation with with NGOs. They mostly do that or did this if it was uh, necessary because of some kind of international treaty or agreement. Let's say for us it was the open government partnership where mm-hmm. where uh, it is requested to cooperate with civil society and even they built up uh, gongos, so so uh, NGOs um, by the government. They own NGOs. They own NGOs. These guys had no clue about anti-corruption policy or but transparency the policy. was proven between the government and the CSOs. Yes, of course. Fidesz Party Foundation gave money to them, which which nobody disputed. So it's very obvious. It is not it is not denied by anybody that there is a very strong tie between Fidesz and and it's called self. What was uh, your reaction, as you know, as a as a NGO leader and other organizations, uh, when you saw what is happening and that you capacities uh, limited by the government well we started to um, to use more and more channels that remained the opposition media and actually they were the only ones who invited us so um, we became we, we got into this quite um, bad situation that we could only reach let's say people who are already critical with Orban but for us it was very hard to 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 reach audience that is neutral or listening to to commercial media or state-owned media um, so for us it, it was a new period of thinking how to to behave in this situation and and to build up new strategies to reach out to to people but of course we tried to maintain the channels that that um, remained and also more intensively turn to foreign funding countries or or international institutions because they they had their their eyes open and they listened to what we said and there was a chance that they getting back to the government uh, saying that guys give me an answer for this or that or why why are you doing this or that so so um, also for this we were quite often criticized being foreign agents but I would rather say that we were pushed into a situation that we had to to turn to to all uh, remaining possible um, sources of of uh, publicity, because uh, Orban absolutely closed all channels of co- cooperation and communication with with civil um, society. During last year and sometimes recently, about a more aggressive take from the yeah. government. <clears throat> the yeah. This. Yeah, exactly. This happened after after um, the elections. Last year. Um, that, yeah, last year when they really stepped up with, uh, I would say, methods we know f- more from Russia or or, or countries like Russia, um, that they stepped up actively uh, actively against civil society, saying that the funds we are funded uh, by Shorosh uh, by and and other uh, foreign interests and we are serving foreign interests. 
saying also that the Norwegian funds are distributed by Hungarian, bigger Hungarian NGOs, that they're actually uh, have political aims, they're supporting the Green Party and have close ties to the Green Party, so it's about financing political opposition. And they, they started an investigation by the government control office um, looking whether, uh, whether there were any misusing of public funds. There were two big problems with that. One is that the government control office's duty is not to investigate um, the, the funds of, of a Norwegian government. Or, or Hungarian civil society, but internal funds of the Hungarian government. They denied that, they, or, or the government said that they have the right because it's, um, it's, it's taxpayers' money. And the other thing is that they also said that uh, we are abusing these funds, we are mismanaging the funds, and they, they made a report at the end, which was made public, which is quite funny because the government control office made none of its report pre reports previously public, so it was a, a precedent that they they did this this time, but without any concrete you know um, evidences and names of companies that uh, or, or organizations that breach the law. So it was very obvious that it is um, a show up or this is a um, some kind of of report showing that something is wrong, but without really evidence. But nice to communicate that there is, there is everything going mad with, with civil society. What is the image of the NGOs uh, in the public? Is it uh, good or is it being uh, shaken by publishing such reports and other actions? I would say it is shaken in a way that the government managed to push civil society or let's say not the whole civil society but human rights and transparency organizations and and uh, and organizations working on these fields into a political sphere um, saying that we are working against the government and the, we are some kind of we have ties to the political opposition and we are actually opposition organization and for for lots of for for a huge part of the society i think this this uh, started to they started to believe this or at least believe that we are not really independent this is this is um, a, a huge problem and i think also, mostly because one our big one of our biggest values is our credibility mm -hmm. and and, you, and yes. they and and they what they aim to do is ruin our uh, credibility saying we're not independent and also saying we are corrupt or mismanaging funds and and i think um they partly managed to to bring through this this picture of course not a, a huge part of the society would not believe this but there is more and more skepticism in the society towards these kind of civil organizations what is the society trust then is it the government or is it just general I don't care attitude? Or? I would say general I don't care attitude. So people lost their faith, I would say, towards politics, towards society in general. They, they, they very much feel that they left on their own. Um, nobody is really caring about them. All, everybody is just doing their own um, you know, business. Um, Are there any individuals, because we've, we've talked about media, government and organizations, you know, rather institutions, but are there any individuals who try to take actions? I don't know, some active bloggers, for example, or other activists? 
They they are, but you you have to see that almost everybody in the country is put into political context. So so even I would say active bloggers who are critic if they're criticizing the government, they immediately pushed into this this circle of of left liberal opposition, which is obviously not true. But but the country Can is you quite. Give some different. names. I would add the links to the, to the description of the podcast. Names like bloggers or, yeah, or yeah, yeah, active bloggers. active people. Both, both. Well, it's hard to say. I would mention okay. there are some blogs like Kettőschmerce, um, but I, I I don't know whether this has any sense to. So if if um, let's move forward. Yeah, let's let's move forward. So there are there are some of them, but um, but you know you don't have really independent uh, or people or or. Um, strong influential people who are considered as completely independent from this or that side. Okay, so after talking to you for almost half an hour, the picture of Hungary I currently have in my head is not very good. Do you still consider Hungary to be a democracy or is it some shape of it? Or what's your take on it? I would say it is a democracy because we still have the the possibilities and I think also in a way the power to change things. It is not, I would say, a Western type democracy, a not really working democracy, but but basic democratic institutions are still there. There are elections and you can change uh, government if you have uh, people on your side. Do you think so this in- will happen? I think it will happen. I don't know when it will happen, but I think people will be fed up with with things um, working as they work now. For me, the question is not about how bad this government and the situation is, because I think more and more people see it like this is not the way Hungary should function, but it is a lack of uh, opposition and, and political alternatives. And both on the left and both on the right. So for me, a change, the, the change will come if new forces uh, will appear on the political spectrum, credible, new, dynamic people who will have clear answers on, on uh, political uh, problems of the country. It could be something like Syriza in Greece, which is, I, I don't want to say whether this would be good or bad. This could be also right-wing radicals. This could be also some kind of very uh, sympathetic, moderate power. So it can be really everything, but it has to be a force that that is talking the language of, of Hungarian people. And, and, what about and Simicka, <laughs> going back to the beginning of our conversation? This is interesting what, how he will survive. He has because lots of this, power. Sorry yeah. for inter- this, this reminds me, not exactly the same situation, but in Georgia, there was uh, an oligarch who was for quite a while yeah. supporting Mihai Saakashvili, and then he became, I would say, not content with the last years of Saakashvili being in power. And that's, of course, uh, Bidzina Ivanishvili. Ivanishvili, yes. Yeah. And then he became uh, he, the president. Yeah. He dropped the <laughs> Russian citizenship. He came back to Georgia, came out of nowhere, showing that he, it was him funding many of the most important uh, investments made by Saakashvili. And he created the new party, Georgian Dream. And then, in the end, came power by winning the the elections 
Yes. Um, the difference and, here is that, I mean, it is he was like completely unknown to the public that he was there existing, bankrolling some of uh, Saakashvili's uh, ideas and his party. Here it's different because um, it, the, the oligarch, although not seen in public, is known to it. Yes, yes. So it, it's not a similar situation. You could also say the the example from Turkey with Erdogan and and Abdullah Gulen, who who have the who were compliances earlier and then turned towards each other, and still they are from the or they used to be from the same same political community. Um, I don't know how. How how what a role Shimichka will have? I, it's, that's really for me the most interesting questions, and I, I I can't tell you how this will go on. It will be a problem if if he 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 remains strong force in politics, or at least he be, he will become a strong force between an alternative conservative movement because of his past. So this would mean that that there won't be. A real change in in Hungarian politics, and and uh, and one thing that that I think Hungary would really need is clean power. I would mean politicians who are not corrupted, who who are not who you cannot connect to main uh, or big political scandals. And Shimichka is a, a massively corrupt guy. So even if he but remains, still carries a lot of he has influence. a. Exactly, and lots of money and lots of power, and 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 also he has some. I wouldn't say say direct, but in indirect political ambition. So still he can be or remain a, a, a force in in uh, on the right wing, but um, I'm not sure that he. <clears throat> so so this would be a problem for I think conservatives as well. I don't think that this would be how the current situation could be solved. Okay, so this is what Hungary is now. Just, be, just before we finish, uh, tell us you know, one paragraph about uh, what do you do and what does your organization do and how we can support your work. Uh, well, K-Monitor is uh, an anti-corruption NGO. It was founded in 2007, so in, in that was the socialist, in the time of the socialist government, and with the aim to step up against corruption. And we have um, a very strong enthusiasm towards technology. I think we're a technology-oriented NGO. So one pillar of our, uh, of our operation is data and technology projects. We think that this can quite a lot help reaching our, our aims and goals. We have two other pillars of operation. We do quite a lot of advocacy work, anti-corruption and transparency advocacy, which means we try to influence lawmaking, assess laws and so on. And we have research uh, projects. We are the local country correspondents for the European Union's anti-corruption report. So it's quite a lot of uh, interesting things that we do. And I think for us, a main goal is to, of course, making Hungary a less corrupt and a more transparent country. But this would also go together with, with the citizenship and, uh, and the civic attitude that uh, in which people are not accepting corrupt environment and have a very strong democratic ambitions that where people want to participate and are also participating and want to influence how the country is shaped and how the country is working. So, so our aims are twofold, making Hungary 
more democratic and more particip participatory and also making it less corrupt and, and more transparent. And how people can help us, where inside Hungary, I would say by being a volunteer, by cooperating with us, giving technological or financial help. And from, from the outside, I think quite similarly, through very good cooperation, through sharing knowledge and, and ideas, best practices, and of course, um, funding, because um, we have this situation in Hungary that, uh, you know, the big funders left the country at the end of the 90s, saying that, okay, Hungary has turned to a democracy, civil society can uh, do it on its own. And now um, we still have a society which has which has not this culture of donating individual support and yeah, so on. So we popular in Poland as well. It's yeah, growing, so we, we we're still quite relying on on external uh, and big donors, and and I think this is something that we we still have to to build up that we 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 we, are, we become again interesting for for these donors. I think, and also we are, we should be interesting for them because Hungary's experience with, with, with urban power is very unique. It shows how, how democracies, uh, or young democracies, how fragile they are. And, 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 um, that you, you can't rely on building just democratic, um, institutions. You have to change the society from the bottom. And I think this is also a very, uh, very important fact for us that we have much to focus much more on projects and work that deal with citizens directly, that go on the local level, and not only, I would say not only, um, still it is important, dealing with national issues and institutional issues. And for this, I think we still need help from, from people who already did that or have experience with that or have the funds to support that. I hope this message reaches them. Thank you, Shandor. Uh, Thank you very much. For this uh, long conversation, but very insightful. Joining us from Budapest was Shandor Lederer, the founder of K-Monitor. And uh, please, if the situation develops in Hungary, keep us posted. Uh, I'll be happy to have you as soon as possible on podcast. And from what you painted, Today, it might be actually quite soon if the situation develops. Yes, I will keep you on the loop. Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye. Bye. This was the second episode of the Spotlight Podcast. We talked to Shandor Lederer from K-Monitor organization, which fights corruption in Budapest, Hungary. If you have any questions to him, or if you'd like to know more about the situation, or if you'd like to know the links to the websites or things we have discussed in this episode, go to the blog post, which is associated to, with this podcast episode. You will find all of it there. Once again, thank you for all the initial comments, for the things which I should improve, or which you like, or the ideas for the next episodes. I'll be, I am definitely going to implement at least some of them, if not all of them, because I want to stay connected to you as much as I can. Besides this, I am currently in Kiev, Ukraine, where I'll be working on at least two next episodes of Spotlight. I have very good people lined up, 
very good topics and what can I say? I'm just really excited about it. So I still have no idea how to end this. I'm just gonna say until the next episode, it was pleasure doing this for you. Cheers. Cheers.